edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that asks, Conjunction, Junction, what's your function? Hello, everyone. We are Andrew Howcrow and Van Sanders, and this is our 20th episode! A big thanks to our growing listener base. We hope you have been enjoying the content. We have had a lot of fun putting it together, and we look forward to a lot of shows in the future. Van, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I'm just extra grateful that you said, hey, let's do a podcast. And I thought, yeah, why the hell not? Um, And it has turned into something I didn't expect and in the best way. I'm super, super grateful to be doing this. It's awesome. I would, however, like to extend an apology to all of our listeners for my excruciating Marlon Brando impersonation last episode. Just to be clear, that's what happens when you are not committed to the voice. So, I'm going to try and make it up this episode. Two of Brando's most famous characters, Terry Malloy and Don Corleone, will make cameos in the podcast today. All right, I would like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear during this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the views of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. Today on With All Due Respect, Van, tell listeners what they've won for our 20th show. For our 20th episode, you've won a round trip with all due respect. You'll fly first class in this podcast to the politics segment, where we'll feature our newest Alaska Supreme Court justice and how her appointment is a win for women, the Constitution, and the separation of powers. You'll tour the recent public opinion polling on Governor Mike Dunleavy's dividend plan. And it's everything you've hoped for and more. Since no trip is complete without an entertainment segment, you'll enjoy a short noir production where our faithful 1950s detective returns. And finally, on your trip back home, you'll listen to the relaxing sounds of an Alaskan journalist sharing his craziest story from the 2021 legislative session. Congratulations, buckle up, and have a safe trip today on With All Due Respect's 20th show. And now... For some politics. This week, Governor Mike Dunleavy named Anchorage Superior Court Judge Jennifer Stewart Henderson to the Alaska Supreme Court. Henderson will be the fourth woman to serve on the Alaska Supreme Court since its creation at statehood. The current makeup of the five-person court now includes three male and two female members. You will remember, a few episodes back, we spoke about Governor Dunleavy's opposition to the choices he was given by the Alaska Judicial Council insistent that his preferred candidate was the best choice. His candidate just happened to be a male who scored fifth out of seven applicants. Seriously, the governor would be like, an Alaska Supreme Court vacancy? Get me the fifth best candidate, stat! And if that's not possible, bring me the nephew of a wealthy donor. 
So, Governor Dunleavy opposed the promotion of a woman who had the highest competency scores because he wanted a male who had one of the lowest competency scores. Think about this. The governor would have rather seen a 4-1 male court with a newbie who shouldn't have been on the team versus a 3-2 court where the most qualified candidate was appointed while providing a closer representation on the court of society at the same time. So, a big congratulations to new Alaska Supreme Court Justice Jennifer Stewart Henderson. You are going to be awesome. All right, moving along to the main event. This week, public opinion polling was released about Alaskans' thoughts on Governor Mike Dunleavy's plan to send out supersized dividends and enshrine them in the Constitution. In the next few minutes, I'll lay out some key findings. First, the poll was commissioned by the House Majority Caucus, and to ensure street cred, they used the governor's own polling company. There were 401 people polled statewide between June 10th and June 13th. Side note, this was taken well before the potential government shutdown and the vetoes. Now, as you are aware of, we have talked in depth a number of times about the governor's proposal. He wants to basically constitutionalize a $1 billion a year deficit. I mean, these would be structural $1 billion a year deficits that you would either have to find a hell of a lot of taxes or a hell of a lot of government cuts, period. So, without describing the governor's plan, participants were first asked, hey, if we put the PFD in the Constitution, but that meant you'd have to pay taxes, what do you think about that? 53% were opposed. 37% were strongly opposed. You know what was more surprising? 59% of Republicans were opposed, but yet, this is a proposal being pushed by Republicans. 53% oppose putting the PFD in the Constitution if it means taxes. And we know, we've done the math, putting the PFD in the Constitution is going to cause a billion-dollar budget deficit that could only be filled by taxes because government has certain constitutional responsibilities that it has to fund. And now, this would include paying a $2,300 a year dividend every year forever. So, once Alaskans are aware of that, 63% oppose the governor's proposal. 70% of Democrats, 63% of Republicans, 66% of nonpartisans, 58% of undeclareds. In South Central, the governor's home territory, 60% oppose his plan. The major takeaway is that Alaskans, almost by a margin of two to one, opposed the governor's plan. Now, there was one final question on the poll that shows policymakers must educate Alaskans more. And it's the final question of the poll. When asked what they thought the primary source of state revenue was, 65% either got it incorrect or unsure. 43% responded that they believed royalties and taxes on the oil and gas industry paid the state's way. Ladies and gentlemen, the royalty on taxes in oil and gas haven't paid a majority of the state budget in a long time. This is why the conversation about the financial cliff Governor Dunleavy is pushing us towards is so critical. The way Alaska funds its government today is not on the back of the oil and gas industry anymore. It's on the back of our investments. This is why the entire debate over Governor Dunleavy's plan to overspend the account is so critical. Because the more dividend the governor gives today, the more the governor has to take tomorrow. And tomorrow is going to last forever because it would be enshrined in the state constitution. So in just a few years, that $2,300 dividend will become a $2,300 tax burden that grows every year, forever. Now, 
there is still the issue of the special legislative session called for later this year. One of the key issues to address is the full funding of the remainder of the budget. As you remember, the legislature averted a government shutdown by barely getting to the 27 votes needed. However, a significant amount of state funding still remains to be approved. If the House cannot reach 30 votes, rural Alaskans can expect their energy bills to double, and Alaska high school graduates who received caller scholarships can expect to be stiffed. But just as important, due to the efforts of the governor and the House minority, for the first time ever, there is a non-zero chance there will be a dividend this year. Imagine, this governor got elected selling snake oil and supersized dividends. Three years later, there is a chance Alaskans will get nothing. So, why is there a non-zero chance that Alaskans will be shut out of a dividend this year? Due to the fact that the governor vetoed the $525 dividend and he fumbled the veto to keep the $4 billion on the table, there isn't even enough money left to pay an $1,100 dividend. So unless the House gets the 30 votes to access the savings account, there will be a zero dividend. So the future of this year's dividend, regardless of the amount, rests strictly on the shoulders of conservative Republicans. While walking away from the state's obligation is certainly not beyond this cadre of conservatives and might play well in some of their districts, the potential economic damage is incredible. So at the end of the day, we are right back where we started. At the end of the day, it still will come down to the same 14 Republicans who can't do math and won't listen to those who can do math. As both a moral and an economic proposition, this seems like a fairly easy choice. But given the governor's refusal to back down and how conservative Republican holdouts have played the role of Fredo in this entire saga, there is nothing that tells me they won't burn it all down. If Alaskans don't receive a dividend this year, the irony will be rich, but unfortunately the economy will be poor. Governor Mike Dunleavy, who got elected promising supersized dividends in 2018, and then worked to get more supersized dividend candidates elected in 2020, could very well become the first governor in the history of the dividend program to not pay a dividend. And now, entertainment. And now, a with all due respect, Noir Production. It was a Monday morning. My head was pounding. Another long night of binging Downton Abbey and drinking California wine coolers. I'm getting too old for this racket, but that's life. Whichever way you turn, fate sticks out a foot to trip you. I climbed the stairs to my office. I had an appointment with a dame and hopefully a new case. Business didn't pick up, but I'd have to switch to Bartles and James. Some palooka was collapsed in the hallway outside the office of the APOC, moaning like he'd just eaten some lead. I didn't like the look of his face when he told me his name. I didn't like the sound of his name either. Said his name was Pruitt. Said the G-Man just put him in a wooden kimono for 20 lard. He was a guy who talked with commas like a heavy novel. As I walked away from him, I heard him mumble. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. It's true what they say, sweetheart. In Greek tragedy, they fall from great heights. In politics, they fall from the curb. I opened the door to my office and was greeted by my secretary, waving her arms like she was trying to land a small plane. She told me the dame was in my office, along with some Bruno. I asked what the jig was. She said the dame was from some place called the legislature. Thought he was the muscle. What's the dame's name, I asked. Louise, huh? Then my secretary told me my mom left a message. Yeah, I said, what's the word from dear old Ma? Her message was that I had seven dames in my family who would all slap me into next week if I ever used the word dame on my podcast again. It was a point well taken. I opened my office door. 
She was a tall, cool drink of water. He looked about as inconspicuous as a tarantula on a slice of angel food cake. The two introduced themselves as the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader. Something didn't feel right, but I played along. They said a gang called the Minority had been causing trouble, trying to extort a greater cut of the take. I listened intently while trying to remember if I ate both raspberry pop-tarts for breakfast. Sometimes I'll only eat one and save the other for later. This minority sounded like a real bunch of flim-flammers. I'd heard enough. Look, Louise and Chris, those are your real names. Here's how the cow's gonna eat the grass. The butter and egg man are behind the eight ball, you see? They can either give up the votes, accept the $1,100 in cabbage and make a clean sneak, or not give up the votes, get a zero dividend, and then go back to the high pillows and tell them they're all on the nut. Always remember something, sweetheart. You live by political extortion, you die by political extortion. This is a high-risk game for the minority, sweetie, with the clock ticking. And we all know seeking salvation is a last-minute business. I've been in this racket a long time. If the minority burns the whole thing down and brings home no cheddar for the high pillows, they'll get their teeth knocked out and then kicked in the stomach for mumbling. I say stand your ground. Tell the minority daisies to suck it up. An $1,100 dividend is more than zero in any schmuck's book. As they got up to leave, quiet one turned to me and said, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. In our closing comments, we offer up our second part of a three-part series where we invite local political journalists to share the single craziest moment so far of the 2021 legislative session. Our contributor today is Dermot Cole, who pens a blog called Reporting from Alaska. When asked what he believed to be the craziest thing that happened this year, Cole states the continued refusal by the Dunleavy administration to answer questions about Clark Penny. You might remember that Clark Penny was the grandson of a wealthy Dunleavy donor who landed a $441,000 no-bid contract for really questionable work. Dunleavy had promised a deep dive into the hiring. However, a year later, the explanation has everybody wanting, and I mean wanting more information. Penny, who resigned shortly thereafter the no-bid contract came to light, was not replaced. And as Cole has written about in depth, the entire deal continues to look shady with the refusal to answer basic procurement questions by the Dunleavy administration. Ladies and gentlemen, there is the music, and you know what that means. Remember, our podcasts are new on Monday and Thursday. You can access every episode on the Anchorage Daily News website, and you can subscribe to us on all of the major platforms. Van, how about those website details? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. That is our time, ladies and gentlemen, and we thank you for yours. <laughs>